in welcoming Marilyn as she comes to give the word. Good morning, good morning. That actually wasn't that bad. I'm very happy. <laughs> it could have been much worse, but God is good. Like Pastor Pablo said, I have the privilege to be with you all this morning, and it's an honor to be here with Pastor Doug and Pastor Cindy. I honor them for allowing me to speak with you all this morning. And like he said, I've been in Ivory Coast for the past two years, and my specific calling, if you would, is to this generation. I say this generation because our kids and our teenagers and those that we are yelling at maybe to get up to get ready for school or make sure you're in the car or whatever it is, they are already here. Amen? And sometimes we think that they, we need to wait or they need to be um, corrected in a certain time and at this time, now we can send them out. But how many of you know that there's no such thing as a baby Holy Spirit? <laughs> the same way the Lord fills you, he fills them. Amen? So I've had the honor and privilege to serve a number of children in, in Africa. I don't know if you guys know this, but under, uh, over half of the population of Africa is under the age of 18. Children are everywhere. And like, seriously, like everywhere. <laughs> so it's really interesting if you come and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go to adults. And no, I'm not going to do any children's ministry. Surprise. They're looking at you and they're waiting to hear what you have to say. And one of the things that I've been able to do since we've been in Ivory Coast is actually plant a church in a Muslim village. So you see, in Ivory Coast, there is a, part, a portion of the country where we cannot actually enter as Americans, as missionaries and minister. And because of the terrorist activities that are there and just a whole bunch of things that we, there's a lot of red tape. So we call it the red zone, the invisible, the invisible line, if you will. But we went as close as we can to that line, and we were able to go to this village called Ma. Can you guys say that? Can you say Ma? Ma. Thank you. So Ma, not your mom, but Ma, the place, is actually located almost six hours away from where we are in Dalawa, Ivory Coast. And the reason why we even went there is because our professor was a background believer, a Muslim background believer. And he told us his testimony of when he was 24 years old, that he was in college and he was in the capital city when the Lord transformed his life. And he gave his life to Jesus. And on a trip home for vacation, he went and he told them of what happened. And immediately the chief of the village and his family said, you are no longer a son of this town. And they kicked him out to never return. He would get married, and over two decades later, he'd find himself teaching a bunch of kids that just want to tell people about Jesus but have no language of doing it yet. <laughs> that was us. And he told us this story, and we were like, can we go? Like, can we go there? And we didn't know this at the time that our leader was actually in the works of putting a trip together and we actually were able to go. And like I said, it's six hours to this town. So I'm in there and my job was to preach to the children and my colleague was going to do the adult um, crusades. And we're, I'm in the car and I'm practicing the sermon because it's French. Okay. It's still French. <laughs> So I'm practicing and I'm practicing for six hours and we get to the point where the sign says, welcome to Ma, right? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I could do this. I don't think I could do this. 
And my fiance now at the driver at the time was like, yes, you are going to preach that message because I've heard it for six hours. And the Lord, <laughs> and I believe that the Lord has called you guys to do something in this town. You see, we went in and we preached the message and we were there for three days. And not only did we see the Lord do exploits in his name, but over 200 kids gave their lives to Christ. Over 60 adults gave their lives to Christ. I want you to get this picture. Over 40 decades, there was a Muslim-believing chief, a place that said there would never be a Christian believer in that town, and now there is a thriving church. Amen? After three days, after three days, I have a picture, and, I, and I'm so sad that I didn't put it up there, but if you want to see it, let me know after the service. There's a picture of the chief sitting watching us as we are doing our closing remarks and we're ending up the first church service in that village. And his face is like scrunched up like this, like this. And if you see that picture by itself, you're like, oh, y'all are never coming back. <laughs> he doesn't like you guys. <laughs> but after that picture was taken, he got up and he said, you know, there's been a lot of people talk about bringing Jesus here but you children brought Jesus, the real Jesus, to this village. And if that was it, we were like, okay, now let's just back away slowly. We don't want any issues, let's get in the car. But the real testimony came about two days later when they called us and we, for the crusades, you know, we, we go in and we, we preach, right? But there needs to be follow-up. There needs to be someone to walk with them and show them what it is to be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus. So we did that. We brought people from other churches to come alongside us. And they said that the following day, the deacon was called by the chief to his house at 4 a.m. He said, uh-oh, they didn't mean what they said. And he gets to the house at 4 a.m. and it's pitch black in the house and the chief tells him to close the door and sit down. He says, yeah, this is the day. <clears throat> Jesus, here I come. And the chief says with the straightest face, what do I need to do to, serve, to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior? My wife and I do not want to go another moment without having the Jesus that they preached in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. We only had six months of French, okay? Like, I was a baby. Like, I didn't have nothing. <laughs> but we had Jesus. Six months later, I would get news from my colleagues because I was here on a, medical, uh, on a medical trip, and they would tell me, like, you won't believe what just happened. I was like, what? They were like, the chief just died. He had been chief over that village for over 40 years. He had been a Muslim his whole life. And six months before he would close his eyes, the Lord saw it fit for him to have an appointment with God and accept him as his Lord and Savior. There is nothing that our God can't do. Amen? Today, the title of my message is, What Do You See? When we went to Guatemala in 2017 on a missions trip, one of the parts of our trip was we was a medical part because the people that we were ministering to were from a Mayan um, part of the, of the civilization. So they were up in the mountains and a lot of their problem was they just really couldn't see. 
they didn't have clinics up there. They were kind of secluded and on their own. And so we brought our nurses and ophthalmologists with us and we went to this village and we began to minister to them. And it was so amazing what would happen when they would get the right prescription. Their eyes would well up with tears and we would be overcome with emotion, just praising God. And they would say three words, I can see. Wow. You see, as I was preparing to come home in February, I was trying to figure out, you know, I was packing. I had all the things in my room. And I was like, God, what do you want me to talk about? Like, what do you want me to say? And then I gave him options, right? Anybody like me? You pray, you give God your problem, and then you're like, well, this is how you can solve it. That would be really good for me. <laughs> and I was like, well, God, what if we did water filters? And God, well, there were so many miracles, and all of the children and all of the people that came to know you, oh, God, the church. Remember the church? And God is so gracious and so good and full of patience that he let me finish. And afterwards, he asked me this question that I asked you this morning. He said, what do you see? And I was like, God, I'm in my room. I have bags to pack. There's so much stuff. He said, no, no, no. In the list that you have given me, what have you seen? And I remembered this moment, even yesterday as I was driving up, I came, the Lord reminded me of it. And I remember I closed my eyes and I said, oh, God, I've seen Jesus. You see, we do the crusades and we plant the churches and we do the big stuff. But on our day to day, y'all, I have to eat. So I go to the market. I have to go from point A to point B. So I take taxis. You see, in the everyday moments, I've seen God take the market ladies and the children in the road and our teenagers in our schools and places and God transform them for his glory. The Muslim taxi drivers that just are driving and don't think anyone sees them. I've seen the Lord take five minutes in a taxi and transform people for his glory. So what do you see? Well, for some of us in the room, maybe, do you see? I believe that the Lord is calling his church today to have fresh vision again. Amen? We had a team retreat last year by the beach. So for those of you that don't know, Pastor Pablo shared that we are in West Africa. And so we are literally on the coast, Ivory Coast. So we are on the coast and we border the Atlantic Ocean. And because we live in, um, inward in the country, in the interior, we don't get to see water very often. But my roommate loves the beach. Does anybody love the beach? God bless you. I don't. I don't like sand. I don't. <laughs> but I'm a good friend. I'm a good friend. So we went to the beach and I went with her and I, you know, we did the American thing. We were able to be tourists for a little bit and we took pictures of her and I was so excited to be in this town. It's called a Boisseau because this specific group of people actually speak Fante. My lady's here. Yeah, Miss Agatha. They speak Fante and they are from Ghana and the Fante people are fishermen. And I was so excited to have a chance to actually speak my mother's tongue because I've been struggling with French for over a year. But I was so excited. So we're at the beach and I'm taking pictures of my friend and then I see a group of kids a far ways off and I'm like, hey, how are you? And I'm pretty sure those boys were like, oh yes, these crazy Americans are about to give us money again. And they come up to us and we're talking in French and then finally I threw my first Fonte word out just to see. 
And they were like, oh, auntie, you know our language? And I was like, yes, I know your language. And they were like, oh my goodness, that's so crazy. So I told them my story. I said, yeah, I was born in Ghana and I grew up in New York City and now I work in Ivory Coast. And they were like, what? That's possible? Where did you sign up to do that? And I was like, well, it's a whole story. But we started talking and I'm like, yeah, so do you guys know this song? So I started singing the song and they start singing with me like, yeah, we know that song. And then afterwards I was like, oh, do you know what that means? And they were like, no. And I was like, oh. well, what church do you guys go to? Like, where's the church in the area? And they were like, oh, there's a church right there, but we can't go to church. I was like, you can't go to church. Why can't you go to church? And they said, well, we're fishermen's kids, so we're out at late at night fishing with our dads, and then in the morning when we come back, we're too filthy and we can't go to church, so we just walk by it and we hear all the songs. And I said, huh. And they would say, but yeah, auntie, how long are you going to be here for? Are you going to be here for a long time? And I said, well, only three or four days. And they said, because you're going to be right here tomorrow, right? And I said, yeah, I'll be here tomorrow. And they left, and the next day I was there with my roommate again. And this time they came and they were all excited and you know, they're between the ages of nine and 12. I don't know if we have that picture. There they are, the boys. And they're, you know, nine and 12 years old. So they want all the attention from the Americans and they start asking us the question. So like, all you guys eat are burgers and pizza? <laughs> like, I don't eat nothing else, like rice, maybe, I don't know. And I'm like, no, well, this is really, you know, I'm explaining all the things to them. And then, you know, because they're 9 and 12, they start fighting because they want the attention. So they start fighting with each other. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you guys remember our song? So they start singing the song. And then I was like, yeah, do you want to know what that song means? They're like, yeah, what does that song mean? And the song simply means, I met a man named Jesus. And because I met a man named Jesus, I no longer want to do the things that I used to do. And they were like, well, who's the man named Jesus? And I said, I thought you would never ask. Let me tell you about Jesus, okay? And I began to do the salvation message to them and in about five minutes, and they were just stunned. I said, yeah, now you guys have an opportunity to accept this Jesus for yourselves. And they were like, really? I was like, yeah. So after that moment, we then went, I had to do some things for the retreat, so we parted, and the next day, I decided to stay in a little longer and just have some Jesus time and, and just wait for, on the Lord for a little bit. And as I was getting ready to come out again, my roommate texted me. She said, your boys are back. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> and as I came outside, the oldest one, the one that is to your left, he was like, auntie, I have to tell you something. I need to tell you something, so I really need to talk to you. I was like, oh my goodness, what did I do? I'm sorry I wasn't waiting for you. <laughs> He's like, no, I need to tell you something. I said, what's going on? He said, yesterday, that one, the one on the other side to your right, he lied on me. He lied on me. He told our families that I did something that I didn't do. And auntie, I wanted to smack him. I wanted to smack him so bad. I wanted to hit him. I should have, matter of fact, I should hit him right now. I said, no, 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 wait, hold on. And he said, but guess what? I remembered the song. So I began to sing the song, and as I sang the song, guess what happened? I didn't want to hit him anymore. I didn't want to hit him anymore. And I began to wonder how many times that those boys had been on the beach, walked by the church, seen all of the people, all of the visitors, and no one had really seen them. I'm so glad that there are now a group of fishermen's boys that not only know the name of Jesus, but they know what, what he's done for them. 
And who knows who they will bring to Christ, whether it's here or in Ivory Coast. So I ask you again, what do you see? Today we'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. And I'll be reading from the Amplified Version, and it starts with this. It says, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he he himself was about to come. Verse 2 says, and he said to them, the harvest is indeed abundant, which means there is much grain or that there are just a lot of people that need to know about Jesus, but the farmlands are few. He said, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then it says, go your way. Behold, I send you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. And he continues for the remainder of the verses to talk about what they should and shouldn't do. When this happens, when this happens, this is what you're supposed to respond. Or if this happens, this is how you're not supposed to respond. And we pick it up in verse 17 and it says, the 70 returned with with joy. And they were saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Verse 18, Jesus says, well, I saw Satan falling like a lightning flash from heaven. Amen. Then he turns to them and he says, I have given you authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over the all of the power that the enemy possesses and nothing shall in any way harm you. Verse 20 says this, nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are enrolled in heaven. Then we're going to jump to verse 23 and it says, Blessed are the eyes which see what you see. You see, right before our main text today, Luke 9 actually uh, actually concludes with a group of people that say, God, I want to follow you. But first, let me just do this real quick. You know, the butt Christians. Yes. I was waiting for the laughter last service. (laughs) I love Jesus, but... I follow Jesus, but I'm not that crazy to go to Africa. We have a lot of butts. (laughs) You like that? That take up more room than our commitment to Jesus. And then we come to this contrast in Luke chapter 10 with a different set of people. The 72, a group of disciples that said, yes, God, where? Where are we going? Use me, Lord. To where? They didn't have any buts. So I was confused. I said, Lord, why is one set of people saying yes, but, and then another set of group people, you just started off. He was actually like instructing them. He didn't ask them a question. There was no rebuttal. They are in line and they are ready to go. And the difference between the two groups is that the first group, they saw Jesus, saw all that he had, but Jesus was not a priority for them. Whereas the second group of people not only saw the Lord, but they weren't just convicted enough to be saved, but they were convicted enough to be sent. So before you go to any park or any mall looking for a bunch of boys, like like the Abuaso boys, don't do that, that's weird. Before you do anything in the name of Jesus, I believe that we are being called to truly see the Lord rightly. 
So what happens when we see Jesus? I believe there's three things that happen when we see Jesus. The first thing is that we see our sin. Romans 3, verses 10 through 18, and I want to warn you that this is not a, a walk-in-the-park scripture. This, this is a sobering word of who we are as man. Starting with verse 10, it says this, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. It says, all have turned aside. Together, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Verse 14 says, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And then it says, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18 says this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Yikes. This is us in our sinful nature. That's us. But I'm so glad today that we serve a merciful God that doesn't leave us in our mess, that doesn't leave us the way that we've been described, but that he's given us a gift in Jesus Christ. Amen? As we continue to read in verse 22 through 25, it says this. It says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there is no distinction, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but, and are justified by his grace as a, as a gift. You didn't buy it. You didn't even know that you could ask for it. A gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, which means by a solution, as a solution by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. You see, this is why Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Jesus is just saying that there are so many people that need me. There are so many people that are bound by addiction and depression and brokenhearted and walking around not knowing that I am the solution. The harvest is plentiful. There are so many people searching for something, and the thing that they're searching for is Jesus. Amen? Why did the Abwaso boys stop hitting each other? Because in me telling them about Jesus, the one who established what good is, they were convicted when they did wrong. When we see Jesus, we see our sin. But we also see that we have access to salvation. Amen? Number two, when we see Jesus, we see his authority. This is probably my favorite part. Verses 17 through 20, it says the 70 returned back with joy, joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus is like, what? I saw Satan falling like lightning flash from heaven. And then he tells them this, I have given you authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions. That is not just the animals. It's the spirits. 
the principalities and rulers of this present age. Sometimes I think that we think only demons exist in other continents or in other countries. There are so many things, so many people that are suffering today bound and don't know why. Any spirit contrary to the Holy Spirit is a demon, yeah, folks. We need to know that we have authority in the name of Jesus, that we don't just walk around and just allow these thoughts to come into our mind and take root, but we need to combat it with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That tells you that if you have faith in Jesus and if you have decided to follow him, that no longer are you just anybody. You are a child of God. A co-heir with Christ. You're not just anybody. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 says, For this reason also God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You have authority. Why don't we walk like it? We're living in a world that literally, if you don't know who you are, they will tell you who you are. The first night when I got to Ivory Coast, and I remember it was a long day because we had driven for four hours, and then I had, I'm, I'm an unpacker so as soon as we arrived, so I unpacked everything, and I laid down. I remember, you know, it was not a night for the, you know, storm heaven kind of prayer. I was like, Lord, thank you for allowing me to to get here safely and be in this country. Would you give me sweet rest? In Jesus' name, amen. And as I said amen, as clearly as I am speaking to you all in this room, I heard a voice say, who do you think you are? You will never rest in this place. And I said, I am a child of the living God, and that means that I will rest in this place, and that people will be transformed by Jesus Christ in Jesus' name, amen. Two minutes later, I was sound asleep. <laughs> we have authority. We need to know who we are in Christ. Our identity is found in him. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I know that the Bible says that in this world we will have trouble. But he also says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. We are victorious. We are victorious. And I believe that the Lord is calling us to walk like we know who we are. You have authority today. And lastly, number three, when we see Jesus, we see his compassion. Our key verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 23, says this. It said, but blessed are those whose eyes have seen what you see. Did you know seeing is a gift? It's a gift. Not, not everyone sees, whether physically or spiritually, not everyone sees because God's people are precious. And the fact that God has given you the vision to first see him, now he's allowing you to see his people. I'm going to ask my friends to come up. Could you give them a hand as they come, boldly as they come? (laughs) 
And we mentioned that before our text, there are the group of people in Luke chapter 9 that are saying that they will follow Jesus. And that right after our text, though, begins in verse 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I asked, I asked my friends to illustrate this for me because I don't think it's an accident that our main text is sandwiched between one group of people that say, oh, Jesus, yeah, but... And then we see a picture of what the religious people do when they're outside. So, we have a friend. The Bible says that there is a man that is on the road and on the way, on his way, he is beaten and robbed. And I didn't touch him, but he's going to fall and... I'm not from this church. I don't want no problems <laughs> with Anthony's mom. Um, and then the Bible continues to say that the religious leader, hey, Pastor Papa, <clears throat> the religious leader acted as if they didn't see this man on the side of the road and just continued to pass him by. Just as so. And then the Bible continues to say that they are the Levites. Hey, Chris. And the Levite, the Bible says, actually saw the man and walked on by. And lastly, the Bible tells us that there was a Samaritan. The Samaritans are those that are outcasted. They, them and Jews are like oil and water. They were seen to not be able to go into the Holy of Holies, let alone know God for themselves. And Jesus says that when this man walked on the road, not only did he see him, but he picked him up. He bound his wounds and he sent him to a hotel where he was able to rest and, and heal and also gave him food. But the Bible says that he also went back and paid for the bill and made sure that the man was good. Can we give them a hand? Thank you so much. We get a picture of not only the religious leaders, but us. You see, church folk, it's easy for us to come to church. It's easy to stop at salvation. But I believe that God is calling us to do more than be saved, but to be sent to a lost world of which we have the solution for. His name is Jesus. Jesus and says in John chapter 13 verses 34 through 35 that I am giving you a new commandment that you would love one another just as I have loved you so you too are to love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples you see when you see Christ rightly everything changes we went to Nyamanu, a village, and we brought them water filters because they were in desperate need. They, they had their congregation literally was going through waterborne illnesses almost every other week. And at the end of the week of training them on how to use the water filters, we did a celebration service at the church. And I remember after the service, they love missionaries because we plant churches. And I remember there was a man off to the side and he was dressed a little bit differently and he was just waiting. And I went up to him and I was like, hey, can I do anything for you? Do you need anything? And he said, yeah, if you had time, like if it wasn't too much trouble, can you just pray for me? I said, of course. So I got my fiance and we went out and I remember he started to explain to us that he had a boil on his leg. 
And the boil was so big that he couldn't wear regular shoes anymore. And this is a farming village, so he couldn't go to the fields because he was in so much pain. And he just wore a boot everywhere. And he can't work and he can't do anything and he really just needs help. So as he was speaking to us, I felt the unction of the Holy Spirit tell me, you need to put your hand on that boil. I said, Jesus? He said, you need to put your hand on that boil. So I did, and my fiance started to pray with him, and I went down, and I put my hand on the boil. And as I'm praying for him, the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to heal him, but I, he needs to tell everyone that what I do for him. So I get up, and I follow the unction of the Holy Spirit, and I tell him what the Lord has told me. And we went our separate ways. About a couple weeks later, it was my birthday weekend, and we had done a lot of ministry, so I decided to just take a moment and rest for a couple of days. And the day before my birthday, my fiance called me, and I was like, he is so sweet, just calling me. Like, he's so nice. And he was like, hey, like, are you sitting down? And I was like, yeah, I'm not even there. What did you get me? And he's like, no, do you remember Joel? We're gonna call him Joel. And I was like, Joel? And he was like, yeah, Joel from Yamanu, we prayed for him. I was like, oh yes, what happened? And he said, he just got off the, I just got off the phone with him. And this is a little graphic. He said the boil, when he was, when he got home that day, bursted. And as it began to ooze, he was trying to clean it and trying to clean it because it was a lot. And when it finally finished and he wiped the wound, the, he said that it, the wound was dried up. So he went to the hospital the next day to make sure that there wasn't any infection on the inside and they said, you were fine. And he said that, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm on the way to Abidjan and I just got a job, but I've been telling everyone of what Jesus has done for me. When we see Jesus rightly, everything changes. Sharon James in her book, A Sudden Glory says this, she says, Jesus did not give his life to make us more moral. He didn't die on that cruel Roman cross, have thorns pressed into his forehead and a spear thrust into his side so that we could be happy little people who go to church on Sundays, read our Bible every now and then, use good manners in society and support local charities. He did not leave his eternal throne in heaven, walk this earth, this earth dressed in the confines of human flesh and endure rejection as men spat in his face so that we could prosper financially and live free of suffering. No, you see, Jesus suffered all that so that you could have life and have it more abundantly so that you can walk in the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, rejoice, not that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Can we go one step further? Can we be challenged to rejoice that we're bringing other people with us? You see, there is freedom in the name of Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. So if you allow your eyes to be opened by the Lord, you will see much more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. So with every eye closed and every head bowed this morning, I don't know where you are with your walk with Jesus. Or maybe you don't even have a relationship with Jesus and you just come to church. I want you to know that it's not an accident that you are in this room this morning. 
I believe that you are here because the Lord is drawing you to himself. And the Bible is clear that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that no one, no one would perish, but whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Friend, Jesus sees you in your brokenness today. He sees you with all that you're carrying and he sees you in your sin. And he's saying, would you just turn? That's what repent means. Turn from your ways. Turn from your worrying and your searching and I will set you free. Today there is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. Maybe you actually are sitting in the room and you've been saved for a minute. You know Jesus and you have him as Lord and Savior, but you are a but Christian. You love Jesus, but, and there's been all these different things that have seemed to cloud the vision of Jesus in your life. Today, you have an opportunity to come back to your Father. Today, you can choose to fix your eyes on Jesus and say, Lord, I don't just want to be saved, but send me, send me to every smoke shop, send me to every mall, send me to every workplace, fire department, hospital, police station, send me. As we stand together in this church, I'm asking, would you be so bold if you were moved the Lord's been tugging on your heart since you've been sitting in the service. You have an opportunity to respond this morning. If today is the day that you are willing, ready to say, Jesus, I wanna follow you for the rest of my life, I'm asking that you would come and find a place here at this altar. And for those of you that may be already saved and you're like, Lord, I, I, I have all these excuses and I know you see my excuses, but God, can you? I'm here again and I'm ready to surrender my life to you. Would you come and find a place at this altar?